All right, welcome back to episode 11 of the Three Stooges of Basketball podcast. I am one of your three hosts in, in Brady Peterson. We have Eric Bugard here as well and Mason Asher. Um, so let's just go ahead and just jump right into it. Today's basically going to be all Final Four stuff because it was truly the gift that kept on giving was just pure content left and right. Um, so we're just going to talk about that for a while. Um, I feel like we should start with the least least controversial game which would be the virginia tech lsu one um so let's just start with that um and i want to toot my own horn a little bit because of all the picks that we made i was the only one that made any correct picks at least on the pod last week so (laughs) that's so bad (laughs) so so i'm gonna go ahead and just toot my own horn there um and i feel like i kind of described the lsu virginia tech game right um kind of saying that lsu is just kind of kind of find a way to win even though it might not be pretty um so you know brady all all knowing of ball um i'm just going to take that title for the rest of my days um but what were your guys' thoughts in particular on that one stop shooting threes when they're not falling in the fourth quarter let's stop banging our head on the same door uh but honestly it was semi-impressive i thought virginia tech they stayed very consistent they kind of just they were able to do what they were doing, but I think once LSU ramped it up, Virginia Tech got put on their heels and never were able to recover. Um, I liked, I I said, I think the big news I guess out of them now is that Kitley's coming back, but I really did like Kitley's game. I thought she had a good, she was kind of giving it to the uh, LSU post players and doing good in there. And it, it, it comes down to making shots and Virginia, Te- Virginia Tech just went super cold in the fourth and they couldn't really recover from it once things got rolling for LSU. Kim looked disgusting, like a Pepto-Bismol nightmare. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so, um, congratulations to her. It looked like a child threw up on her that had just had Pepto. So, congrats, Kim. You're getting worse. And so, but shout out to LSU. You found a way to get the championship game, and you're the only SEC team that found a way to do it. Oh, we'll get we'll get there. Don't, don't, let, let's, let's not jump, <laughs> let's not jump ahead too much. But what, what, what do you have yeah. for us, Mason? Uh, yeah, I think, kind of like Eric said, I think LSU just ended up finding a way to win. You know, they were, um, you know, they were down by, I think it was nine points going in the fourth quarter. And then they came out and scored close to 30 points in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, they, they ended up winning. I think the game was kind of decided by the turnover margin, you know, Virginia Tech, turned it over way too many times to have a chance to win the game. Um, you know, they had 18 turnovers. LSU only had seven. I think that's kind of the story of the game right there. Um, Virginia Tech, surprisingly to me, actually out-rebounded LSU. Um, but, you know, I think Virginia Tech looked solid for three quarters. And then, you know, everything just stopped going their way in the fourth quarter. Um, I thought they played – decent but kind of like Eric said you know, if they're not going in you shouldn't keep shooting them and I think that for a while there Virginia Tech just started looking like they were pressing whereas LSU really looked like they were free-flowing and were you know playing with a lot of confidence whereas Virginia Tech felt like you know they were playing more not to lose and to not make mistakes which then you know as, as most people know when you're playing tense tight you're playing not to make mistakes, then that's generally when you start making mistakes because you're super tight and tense. Um, but, I mean, I know we'll talk about her more in a little bit, but I think 
Alexis Morris had an outstanding game. You know, she really, really played well um, in that game. And I think she was a huge reason why they won as well. Yeah, I mean, the the funny thing is in, in this game compared to the national title game with LSU is that they got literally no support from their reserves in that one. And it kind of, I mean, and Alexis Morris kind of just kind of took the bull by the horns and, you know, kind of got up her fair share of shots. But I mean, she was a big reason why they why they won that game, just because she was making stuff happen for him. Um, but yeah, I was kind of surprised, like just kind of looking at the box afterwards that LSU did lose that rebounding battle, considering just kind of what happened later on. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is about LSU and, and this tournament run, but I mean, they've kind of faced some you know, moments where their backs were against the wall, like against Utah and, you know, just kind of found a way at the end, even though if there was a little bit of luck involved there, but to win six games in a row at that level, you're going to need a little bit of luck. And then, you know, they get the, uh, they get the game against Miami where um, no one could make a shot, but they just kind of made a few more. Um, so kind of a little bit fortunate to get to where they were in, in that sense. But I mean, Hey, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And, you know, when you had to be good against uh, Iowa, which we'll get to later, they were, they were pretty darn good, but um let's let's move over to that oh, wait, you got something to say Eric? we missing some of the most important thing as someone who's petty and can appreciate some stuff <laughs> the ashia wusu stuff was freaking fascinating online afterwards <laughs> the fact that homegirl didn't even come out after halftime and they like she didn't feel well and then if you saw the tweets online when someone's like what's up with ashia wusu and kiana trailer literally said did you look for her on lsu's bench I'm like, oh, girl, we getting, I'm like, I want all the teeth. Someone's like, free Ashia Wusu and Kayla King or whatever, Carla King or whatever was like, she been free. And then Wusu's dad's like, did you talk about how your coach only had a meeting with seven? I want all the drama. Keep it going. That was the funniest part of it. Cause I'm like, Virginia Tech was petty. We know LSU petty. <laughs> Ashia Wusu's former teammate at Angel Reese. Tell me right now, no one else assumes that Angel Reese and Ashley Woods are going to be reunited at LSU next year. Because Lord knows she ain't staying at Virginia Tech. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think that that was, yeah, I did see all that stuff. I was kind of confused because I kind of got the tail end of it. Didn't see like all the back and forth, but kind of put two and two together. But yeah, that's that's funny stuff. I'm here for the pettiness. I love it. Do it again. Go ahead, Kiana, get her. You know what? Speaking of pettiness, Eric, do you still think that Caitlin Clark shouldn't have been the National Player of the Year? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. She, hey, we can, when we get to it, we can talk about it. Clark, oh, we're here. We're here oh, now. Clark showed out this tournament. She did what she needed to do. When we get to that game, I think Aaliyah Boston has some gripe, more gripe than I think uh, the other one. Not Caitlin Clark, the other Miss Thing has a gripe. I think Aaliyah Boston has an, a legit gripe. I will say that for a preview coming up. Um, but I, I still would go with Aaliyah Boston. But, you know, she tried for some reason. Her, t I mean, I no longer want Zaya Cook as a Lynx player after that pass where she threw it to no one. They were on a run, and she threw it to the corner. The band director got it. So she, She'd fit really well in for the point guard of Minnesota. We couldn't get worse. <laughs> <laughs> right now we ain't got a point guard so last thing with that lsu game though is um i i just want to ask did you from any time you've seen that lsu team play this year did you expect anything compared to what they were about to do in the national title game like was there were there any signs of that to you no because carson had done what five <laughs> points for the last 18 games like 
that's who needs a shout out is someone like as good as Angel Reese and good as Alexis Morris was. You don't win that game without Carson going absolutely catatonic in that first quarter, the first <laughs> half. Well, before we get there, because we're going to have a long conversation about that game and some of the stuff after the fact, for sure. Um, but let's talk about um, Iowa, South Carolina, a little bit more in depth here. Um, I don't think anyone had really, at least, you know, outwardly. I know Mason, I had a conversation and I don't know what it is about Mason's bracket, but and, and him not trusting his own decisions. But <laughs> you picked Iowa, right? In that game. I did. In my bracket, I had Iowa winning over South Carolina. And I also had numerous other upsets that we talked about because they've been mentioned again. But I will say that the other side of my bracket, I did not have either LSU or Virginia Tech in the Final Four. So, <laughs> Well, we wow. don't got to talk about that. We don't got to talk about that. <laughs> no. But but as a whole, like it, it kind of felt like there wasn't a whole lot of people that were really giving Iowa like a real shot to not not just like um like I'm sure a lot of people outside of someone on this podcast thought that I would be able to compete with South Carolina but not many people thought that Iowa had a real chance at winning that so just at what point did any of you realize that oh I was really got a really got a shot to take this thing home here like was there a moment or was there it was just kind of like a like a game long thing kind of like a slow burn um for me, so I remember in the pod, like, at the very end, um, you know, I was like, well, we really have to, like, think, like, Iowa could win this game. Um, you know, obviously looking at the odds and, you know, the smart money and all that kind of stuff, like, you know, it, it'd be kind of fool's gold to pick Iowa, which is, you know, why I didn't on the pod because I was going with, you know, the team that would have won that game, you know, 70% of the time. Um, but when Iowa got out to an eight, two lead, uh, there with like, like four and a half minutes in the game or something. And then Caitlin kind of got going pretty quickly there in the first quarter. I, you know, and, and Iowa had like a eight or nine point lead out of the first quarter and they were kind of humming along offensively. I, that's when I was like, okay, like they didn't come out scared at all. Like they're, they're not you know, backing down from South Carolina, they're putting it on them hard right now. Um, you know, that's kind of when I felt like they had a chance, but, you know, as we've talked about, and I know Eric mentioned it before for South Carolina, it's, it's not necessarily like they're not going to come out and, you know, win the game in the first half. It's going to be that third and fourth quarter where, you know, they wear the other team down where the other team's bigs down. Um, but I'd never really thought that happened. Um, again, that could have been because of, you know, foul trouble for both teams as well. So it never really had the opportunity to happen. But yeah, to answer your question, when, when Iowa came out, got off to a quick start, um, you know, that's, that's kind of when I was like, okay, like they're playing confident. Like they could, they could win this game. Did, did you I have a spot, Eric? Yeah, when Aaliyah Boston got her second foul after being mugged. Um, uh, I will say, see, but the first quarter didn't shock me because I even said South Carolina, for some reason, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say for some reason, it's just how they're built. They're a slow, we're going to methodically wear you down type situation. We're going to pound it in and pound it in. 
And so to me, when Iowa came on fire and I'm like, they had all the excitement, the energy, usually at the beginning of the game, like shots are going to like threes or when they're going, it's kind of when you have, you know, you have energy, you have your legs and stuff like that. That didn't surprise me. Boston second foul hurt them. But I even say at halftime down one with Leah Boston having shot one or two shot, no one shot, two fouls, zero points. And you're only down one. Um, I will say I, uh, yes, 19 points from Caitlin Clark was very nice in the first half. I feel like Zaya Cook was not getting the love that she probably should have. Like, if we want to talk about Caitlin's 19, Zaya had 18. Like, Zaya was one point left. Like, hype them both up because Zaya Cook, they are, this game is over at halftime if Zaya Cook is not doing everything in her power to try and keep them in it in the first half. I truly did. I thought South Carolina was like, start to like pound inside. They tried. Cardosa and her really did try they, to get pounding. I will say this. I was more in, and this is maybe just on me, I was stunned, stunned that Monica Sinano was able to not only score, but she was scoring <laughs> over 6-7. That one hook shot she had with Cardoza, like right there in her face, I don't know how she, I don't, there's no way Monica saw the basket. There's not a chance Monica saw the basket a day in her life. She knew where the general area of the basket was and threw it and it bounced in. So, I mean, that Monica shut me up. I did not think Monica Sonata <laughs> was going to score, let alone be hitting a hook shot over six, seven. So bravo. Impressive. I, I said it when Boston started getting tight in the second half with free throws, when she was missing free throws, that was that's when he started seeing like, okay, South Carolina starting to feel it. Shout out Raven Johnson because Iowa was not going to come within a tri-state area of any shooters. And even as we saw an SEC play, I've never all year seen a team be that far off of South Carolina shooters. And what's and that does have to play a mental part in your game where you're like, Jesus, they're not. I mean, Raven hit a few, but I don't understand Zion Cook. Like, Bree, and the other question I have is, I don't know what Don would be in cutesy for. Bree Beal should have been on Caitlin Clark from the beginning. I don't know what cutesy stuff we were trying to do and save Beal. Because people were like, well, the one time she was on her, she burned her. Well, yeah, that's at 36, 37 minutes into the game. Beal's tired. So my thing is, like, well, I don't understand that call. And so, uh, once again, I'm not questioning Don Staley. Once again, I'm not a coach. Those, can, those parts confuse me. I think you kind of let Caitlin get a little bit more rolling than you probably should have. But even like I said, if Caitlin would have just been the only one, even if with her 40, if Caitlin would have just had her 40, you would have been probably fine if you would stop the rest of them. Monica's probably the one that killed you because Monica was in the 20s as well. And that's all you needed to do, especially with Cook going very, Cookie went cold in the second quarter or second half. I keep doing quarters, Jesus. In the second half, Boston and Cardoza, whether called or not was probably not finishing in the in the pain as much as they would like to there's a lot of feet around them so they can't really get stable so that's i said but boston second foul i was like okay i was going to keep this close for a while yeah i i don't know if hmm? i didn't mean I'll, I'll 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 take this one mason yeah go for it i do <laughs> um, have something yeah, I, to add though as well okay yeah i mean the one thing i kind of want to talk about it i'm sure um we're going to talk about the rebounding margin for iowa again later um but i'm absolutely stunned that they gave up what 20 
four twenty five offensive rebounds and still managed to not only be in it in that game but win it. And I think that kind of goes to uh, kind of highlight the shooting that Iowa actually had when they got into their their flow of their offense. Um, part of it is because obviously Caitlin's a really good passer, and when she draws the attention, she does, and you send a cutter to the rim. So they're getting a whole lot of just easy layups that way. Um, but they shot 49% from the field, whereas South Carolina shot 39%. And honestly, outside of like rebounding, like that was probably the difference. I mean, it's not like Iowa shot incredibly well from the three-point line either. Um, but they were just getting so much easy stuff, whether it just be like skip ahead passes in transition or you know, just layups off of cuts. Like it was honestly kind of incredible how well that they played against South Carolina's defense and just kind of got a lot of easy stuff. Um, but another thing I want to kind of shout out here quick is just Kate Martin's rebounding. Um, because outside of like, if let, let's put it this way, Monica had three rebounds. I want to say in that game, I believe that's the number. Um, and to be fair, it doesn't help when you're going against, you know, the bigs that South Carolina has, but the rebounding that Caitlin Clark and, and Kate Martin especially had, um, I think was probably more important than I realized at the time. I mean, she finished with seven of them, which is kind of incredible. And a lot of them are probably on some of these like wild ricochet threes that South Carolina was taking, but regardless, those are still important. Um, but yeah, I, man, it was, I, I don't know when it was in particular, but I know Eric at the start of the fourth quarter, he was, uh, I could tell he was a little bit, uh, a little bit feeling that Iowa had a, had a chance to win that one um, as I was talking to him during the game a little bit, but man, I don't know what it was about Iowa, but anytime South Carolina made a run or even took like a one or two point lead, there would always just be something that would go their way. And they would just kind of, you know, regain like a five point lead. It just kind of stuck there like the whole game. Like it, there wasn't really many big runs. If I can remember, was there any, do you remember any big runs in that game or was, was just, it was pretty the consistent, only, right? The only one I rem- that could have been closer was when they were down three and Boston got fouled, but she missed the first one. That was that when it was sixty-eight to seventy-one, she got it within sixty-nine. That probably was when you needed to get it within one because if you're South Carolina, you weren't hitting a three. <laughs> I mean, so you probably needed to get it within one, get a stop, and score inside or get fouled. Um, probably. Um, in terms of rebounding, Warnock probably had the biggest one of the night. When she got the O board, yeah. bounced right to her, and once again, it's just bad timing, bad placement. But if you're Boston and Cardoza, you're huge, and it just bounced a little bit. It bounced where Warnock was standing, so it's like, well, there she goes. Yeah, but anyway, Mason, what did you have to say before I rudely interrupted you? Yeah, so I was just gonna say, um, yeah, I think that the play of Monica can really be attributed to. Uh, Jan Jansen, their coach and their assistant coach. Uh, she's done, she does a great job with their post players. Monica's only taken, I think it ended up being two dribbles in her tournament. And it just seemed like every single time she caught the ball, she went immediately up and scored it. And it looked like a lot of times, you know, obviously for her, like if she would have waited for half a second or a second with a ball and not been decisive with it, like that's when you know, Boston and, and Cardoso would have been there in position, but she was kind of getting them on her her backside and then just quickly spinning and scoring. So I don't really even think that, you know, South Carolina like really even, you know, put her off her game. I mean, she was six for eight, um, but like she was just getting to her spot and getting to her shot so fast. You know, she makes a thousand of those in practice every day. You know, that's that's what they do. Um, you know, it's been long known, but 
Iowa Post players don't dribble. Like they just don't, they just don't dribble. Um, they just catch it and score. So I think that kind of really surprised South Carolina because you know a lot of times the post and free pass, you catch it, you know, you you dribble, you get your base solid, but Monica, you know, just goes to score it. Um, I thought that Addison O'Grady actually had a really nice game off the bench. And even in the national championship game, you know, her coming in and being able to spell Monica when Monica's in foul trouble, I think, and, and not give up, you know, a ton of, you know, stuff inside. I mean, she scored four points, which, you know, is, wow. is nothing in the grand scheme of the game. Um, but she also played solid defensively, didn't turn the ball over. Um, and that's, you know, going to be your next post there there at Iowa and her coming in having not played a ton over the season I think is a big confidence boost for her team but also her going into next year um and you know in in the very end I think you know Clark was obviously you know the one who um you know led her team to the win with 43 points or 41 points um but all those role players for Iowa played you know, extremely well. They played their roles well. Monica obviously had a pretty solid game uh, scoring the ball. But the thing that stood out to me the most was the lack of adjustments that Don made. You know, they put Clark and Monica in that high ball screen repeatedly with Gabby on the on the weak side or Kate Martin, whoever was over there. And they defended it pretty much the exact same way every single time. Um, and I think that I don't think that they really thought that Iowa was that good or that they had other playmakers other than Clark. Like Eric said, I was kind of surprised that Beal wasn't on Clark the entire game. Um, but I think more surprising to me was just a lack of adjustments that South Carolina made, you know, when Iowa kept getting that same action over and over again there at the top of the key and getting to the rim. Well, and my thing is in terms of – like when you look at South Carolina down the stretch, don't get me wrong. Kate, but Raven Johnson was doing decent because, but Caitlin Clark scored the last fifteen points of the game for Iowa. I mean, when it got within sixty-two to sixty, the next fifteen points were Caitlin Clark, and those threes. I mean, no, no slouch to Raven Johnson. She's in her face. I mean, she's right there following her, and Caitlin's hitting those. That's those are the impressive moments where it's like. And I remember, because I needed some entertainment, I was watching the broadcast of Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi's, like they were doing the Taurasi show or whatever on ESPN during it, or ESPN 2 or whatever, which one it was. And they had Doris Burke there. And honestly, when she hit that one with Raven Johnson in her face to make it 67-62, I want to say, don't quote me on that. Doris Burke literally looked at Diana and said, that's you. She's like, that is you, D. Because she's like, that is the shot you would take and you would make. She's like, and they said, there's not been another player like Diana Taurasi since Caitlin Clark in the way that they make those kind of shots. And so that, even when Doris Burke said, I'm like, I've been saying that. Now Doris Burke says it and taking my thunder. <laughs> but no, like that, that was, that's what was impressive of the aspect of Caitlin Clark was her ability to score the last 15 points in a national semifinal game to get to the championship game. That was, I will give her that. That was impressive. And it got Doris Burke to compare to Eric's been comparing her every 11 episodes of this podcast. So the and, first time and like you body. said, it was, 
And it was even more impressive because, <laughs> like you said, she had someone in her face. It wasn't like these were wide open 25 footers either. It was, these are threes you have to make. These are shots you have to make or you're going to lose the game. And she just made them. So, yeah, so that was, I felt very vindicated when Dorothberg looked at Diana Trophy on the page, like, that's you. And I'm like, Eric's been saying that. Do we do we have the Caitlin Clark conversation now for this in, in this one? Because I I asked you both. Which, I asked you which conversation of well, the championship game of overall. Of... If you if you gave me if you gave me a second, I would I would get there because I asked you both a question um, after that game ended on Friday, and I just asked both of you like, is she the biggest star in basketball? Right, like as we said that, like as we as that game ended, was there like was there a moment in time? On on this or just this past weekend, where she was probably the biggest name in basketball in general. Yes, they blew out NBA ratings. People were there to watch. I mean, granted, as much as I love Aaliyah Boston, and as much as other people like Angel Reese, the biggest name that drew people in was Caitlin Clark. She had the that star quality that you want to see what she's gonna do. It's kind of similar to like what Steph Curry for a hot minute. Um, for NBA fans back when Lynn Sanity had that crazy time where he was going nuts in women's basketball terms. It's when that player catches fire and you want to see what they're going to do. And it seems like what they're doing. And they even said it. They were getting she was getting better and better and better as the tournament went on. Two four, back-to-back 40-point games. You she was the biggest name in basketball. Fair, you know, fair or not, or if anyone wants to say whatever goes in behind that, fine, whatever. But People tuned in, and they had record-breaking people tuning in because of Caitlin Clark. Fair or not, or you had people that were probably turning in disliking her. You had people turning tuning in loving her, wanting to see what she was doing, indifferent. People that didn't even have never tweeted or talked about basketball. Suddenly, you have celebrities. And hell, she was talked about on The View today. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg is talking about Caitlin Clark today on The View. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, for me, yeah, I was just going to say for me, I don't know. I mean, it really depends on what you, like how you frame it. Was she the most like talked about basketball player that weekend and had the most Twitter mentions and all that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a final four, but like, is she the most popular basketball player in the world right now? No, I don't think it's really particularly close. Was she the most, but was she the most talked about? Yeah. But, you know, you, you think of, you know, if you if you just look at social media following, you know, Caitlin Clark has 500,000 followers. You know, you look at LeBron James across all channels, you know, he's got 150 million followers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for the weekend she was, but, you know, here in a couple of days, it's going to be back to what it was. Yeah, that I mean, that's fair. But I mean. You look at the the women's final four, and then you kind of look at the. I know the men's final four had had uh San Diego State and Florida Atlantic kind of go down to, to the wire, and you know they had a buzzer beater uh buzzer beater to end the uh, that game with Lamont Butler. But I still feel like Caitlin Clark was still the most talked about player in each of the for each at least of the national semifinal games, which is like kind of crazy that she kind of has that um kind of has that pull in general. Um, oh, for like, sure, it, which is crazy. In, in call- in college basketball, I think she's the most popular player. Which is why. Regardless. Yes. I think she's the most popular player right now, whether that's this weekend or going forward. Like, I think she'll be the most talked about player in college basketball next year. 
Mason, she has 113.5 thousand followers. Uh, well, Google just lied to me then. Maybe, maybe, maybe it meant across all channels. Oh, okay. she got? That twit. I wonder what it was. I wonder what it was before Thursday. Oh, I mean, that's the other thing, though. She, which is a benefit to her, and I would also we'll get to this later. But like how she carried herself. Caitlin Clark brought new eyes to the sport. You brought people that would not normally be watching the women's college basketball final four or championship game to their eyes came to this game. You had people that were, and I was a fervent fan base. LSU is a fervent fan base. South Carolina, but you had three big fan bases. I, I can't speak for Virginia tech. Sorry. I don't know y'all that close. Sorry. But like she brought more eyes to the sport, whether they were watching to see just her or whether they were seeing the storylines or what, what whatever brought them there, Caitlin Clark brought more eyes. And I think we're not going to feel the, I, we might not feel the effect of what she did in this tournament till next season when there's a fervent, when there's a hunger for women's college basketball to be back because they want to see Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, Paige Beckers, all that kind of stuff. And so we might not see the effect of what she did this tournament until next November, but she did have an effect on the notoriety of the game. Yeah, agreed. And Caitlin Clark has 513,000 Instagram followers of this moment. She has 100 and something on Twitter. And I don't even have five. (laughs) <laughs> Brady, Brady will Brady will put put your <laughs> handle down down in the comments. Listen, yeah, you'll you'll be tagged. Don't worry about it. I'm sure I'm sure it'll jump up like crazy this week. So no, you know you don't have to worry about that. You'll you'll get there. <laughs> It'll go up 100 percent to 10. Damn. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> um. But anyway, let's talk about the actual national championship game and just the game in general. We'll talk about all the extracurricular stuff afterwards. Um, because I think there's a lot, there's a very large discussion that probably needs to be had. Um, and I, and I feel like we can do that in its own without, without mixing it in with the actual game. So let's just talk about the game first. Um, first, I don't think that LSU has ever shot the ball that well in their entire life. Um, so is there, in that, in that, in that opening quarter when they just kind of couldn't miss, like, did, did it kind of feel to you guys like there wasn't really a whole lot of hope for Iowa? Because it didn't really feel like it was slowing down at all. Honestly, if Iowa could have just figured out who Carson was. I mean, because in all fairness, you had, what, Monica? Caitlin still played through her foul trouble, but you had Flage Johnson and and Reese on the bench in foul trouble. You had, you had Alexis Morris. In the, you had three of the LSU starters. If you could have figured out that Carson was out there, Maybe I mean that was the thing I was like I get that she's not probably high on the scouting report. Maybe once she's three for three, four for four, hell five for five. Maybe at that point let's put a hand up in the face. I mean her last two were pretty decently contested, but by that time, Hookie's gonna cook. So she's just rolling at car. The first half belonged to Carson because they're up seventeen. She had twenty one. That's the story of the game right there. She went bonk wild. I mean, right when she hit that three to end and the half, I'm like, oh yeah, she's on a different planet right now. I mean, if if I mean one, you're making your your threes, and I mean, sure, I'm sure she's made a lot of threes in her life before. But when you start throwing up some some absolute prayers like she did at the end of the half, and you just get a bank three, and I, I forget what the score was at half, but I want to say they were down something like 15, 17, 59 like to forty two. 
Yep. Yep. And, you know, right when that one goes in, like there's not a much, you know, bigger kick in the teeth than giving up a three like that to end a half. So, I mean, at that point, like it was always going to be an uphill battle, but I mean, yeah, she was freaking ridiculous in, in that first half. Yeah. I, um, yeah, there wasn't much you could do with when LSU was making those shots. I mean, I didn't think that Iowa had a bad game plan or anything. It was it was very evident that LSU just couldn't shoot the like I mean, it's it's easy to say, well, you know, LSU can shoot the ball. They went, you know, eleven for seventeen. But in a small sample size, yeah. But throughout the entire year, they just didn't shoot the ball much. And so I think the Iowa game plan was good you know, on allowing them to shoot the ball because they've demonstrated over the past, you know, 35 games that they couldn't really shoot the ball. Um, But I think the difference between – well, really the big difference between LSU and South Carolina was while they both aren't, like, three-point shooting teams, LSU wanted to shoot the ball. Like, they they were confident when they were shooting it. They were fine shooting the ball. Whereas South Carolina against Iowa, you know, as we saw multiple times, like, they would – sit there with the 15 feet of space and not shoot it. LSU wanted to shoot the ball. So I think that was the biggest story there. Um, you know, I thought that Iowa would be able to make a run there again, just because they have Caitlin Clark and they did. I mean, they cut it to seven points in the third quarter, but this just could not get it any closer than that. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, you know, I never felt like it was over, over, um, you know, in the first half, but, mainly because I was just thinking, like, there's no way they could shoot it that well in the second half, which, I mean, they shot 65% from deep for the game, so they basically shot the ball well all game long. Yeah, but the problem is they had 11-3 that half. They had none at the half. They had none after half. Mm, oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, you had none. That is true. And that's when the second half you saw Iowa. They had that run where they got four threes in a row. I think Warnock had one, Clark two, and then Gabby Marshall hit one. And I think because that they started rolling and they're like, okay, now you're starting to get your offense. I think I text Brady about this. The one that confused me is they got it within 12 and Clark just hit a three and they get a stop and she's roll, you know, she's coming down with a head of steam. And you I get that you had Warnock ahead of the it's when she bounced past it to Warnock and Warnock can hold it one out of bounds. But I told Brady, I'm like, Warnock was literally cutting to the basket. Because like the rest of the world, Caitlin had just hit one. Caitlin liked 35 point pull-ups. I hand to God, you would have never convinced me that she was passing that ball. I'm like, girl, it's the national championship. Take the damn shot. And she passed, and I think Warnock was even thrown off to be like, oh, Caitlin's trying. And I get sure it's probably the right decision to get a layup and stuff, but Caitlin, girl, shoot that. I mean, my yeah. my response to that is that she's not really like. I mean, she, even though like she had a forty point game in the Elite Eight and one in the national semifinal, but she's not really like a kid not gonna pass the ball at all. Like she is still like a really really good passer. Um, so that was like my response to to that. And I mean, it's it's just one of those things where it's just kind of like either it's a miscommunication or it's just unlucky. And you know, when you're looking to come back on a team that's you know, basically ripping the net off um, because they're not missing. Like, you just kind of have to have those breaks go your way, and it just didn't. And Alexis Morris took over the second half because uh, Carson had one point, 
in the second half after having 21 on the first. And it was Alexis Morris, but I think they started doing twos. And it also didn't help that Ladeja Williams hit. That's another thing South Carolina didn't have that LSU had. They had that Ladeja Williams that could go to the free throw line and hit those jumpers for days. Because what did that do? You couldn't just hound in on Queen, whatever her name is, Backyard Barbie or whatever. You couldn't just hound down there because she's hitting these jumpers. Where South Carolina... Boston and Cardozo weren't going up to the free throw line and hitting those jumpers. They were trying to maneuver closer, pass closer, dribble closer. Yeah, and, and it was kind of incredible, honestly, just looking at, you know, all the metrics and efficiency ratings that are out there for, you know, not only women's basketball, but the NBA and uh, even men's college basketball. You know, the mid-range jumper is like the worst shot statistically to take um you know efficiency wise but lsu lived in the mid-range and it seemed like they hit every single shot they took in the mid-range so they they took tough shots and they knocked them down so you know you can only give them credit for making the shots they were taking i mean they scored 102 points obviously we know iowa's defense isn't that great but like putting up 102 points on another power five team that's like not the bottom of the conference is pretty dang good yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, their their ability to just make shots. I mean, and it sounds so simple, but if you make your if you make a bunch of your shots, you're probably gonna win, which is like the most basic statement you can possibly make. But it's it's like the best way to describe what LSU did. They just pretty much made anything that they were shooting. I mean, when you shoot 54% from the field, that's one thing. But having them shoot that 64% that they shot or 65%, whatever it was exactly, I mean, that's from, from the three-point line, I should say. That's like a real killer. And and the crazy thing is, is they didn't, again, they didn't make one in the second half. So a lot of those made shots are coming from the mid-range area where they're kind of taking these elbow jumpers or they're, they're, they're catching, facing up, and then just shooting. Like there was really not like you're okay with, you know, those kids shooting that. But I mean, after they start making them, it's kind of just kind of the deal you make where it's like we're okay with it but if they beat us with you kind of have to live with the results and unfortunately for Iowa they had to live with a, a runner-up finish this year but do we have the conversation now about the the end of that game first oh actually I, I would like to make a mention of of this um you know there was a lot of stuff being said about the referees on social media mm-hmm. um I think the referees were not very good both ways. I think, you know, they missed some calls for Iowa. There were some, you know, wrong calls that were and ones that should have been offensive fouls. You know, Angel Reese picked up her second, and that was not a foul. Um, You know, there were some non-calls, stuff like that. You know, Kim Mulkey came onto the floor, et cetera. And so for me, you know, when when a game of this magnitude with – 10 million viewers were wanting to get fans involved in women's basketball more and more. Um, and it's, it's already a hot topic on the men's side. Like there at some point has to be some accountability as well on the official side. Um, because there were, you know, a, like I said, a lot of calls that were missed. There were a lot of calls that, um, you know, were called that weren't fouls. Uh, I think the Caitlin Clark technical foul was kind of outrageous. Um, by the book, it was actually called wrong uh, because you can't have a delay of game after a dead ball. Um, 
and it was called to delay a game after they called the foul. So that was kind of strange. Um, but I know there are a lot of Iowa fans calling for the refs and stuff like that. But again, when, when LSU hits 11 threes, shoot 65%, when they grab 14 offensive rebounds, when they out-rebound you by 11, um, you know, when they force you to turn over 16 times, it's not the refs. Like, it rarely is the refs. I want Iowa fans to stop complaining about the refs. Iowa lost by 17. There are bad calls both ways. But I think the main point here is I wish there was some more accountability because I don't want to see a foul fest where you have Monica, you have, you know, Warnock, you have Clark all with foul trouble. And then you also have, you know, Angel Reese and Alexis Morris with foul trouble. And then even going back to, um, you know, the South Carolina game. Like, you don't want Aaliyah Boston, who is, you know, going to very, very likely be the number one pick in the draft. And, you know, one of the most polarizing players, not named Caitlin Clark in the entire country. Like, you don't want them fouling out, sitting on the bench for eight minutes in the second quarter. Like, you want those kids to play. Um, there were some fouls where, you know, she probably fouled them. Um, but there are also some fouls that were called on her that, you know, weren't really fouls um so that's the last thing i want to say about the game specifically just i'd love to see some more accountability for the referees and you know not only these nationally televised games but you know all games across the country because you know a lot of people there's more eyes obviously on the men's game and people complain about the men's game referees but like if you watch some women's referees like not not women referees but referees that referee women's games like it's honestly sometimes even worse than the men so that's all i want to say on that just wanted to bring that whole topic up and i agree the grand dragon Mulkey was on she didn't just wasn't on the court she lived on the court that woman needed to be given a tech a tranquilizer someone needed to send the peacock back to her coaching box because that was ridiculous the amount that she was able to be on the court interact with the officials interact with the game interact with whatever voices are in her head that woman needed a tech plain and simple if they're giving caitlin clark a tech whatever they want to excuse they want to use about a delay game or whatever then if caitlin's throwing the ball whatever mulky straight up challenged you held you touched you screamed at you mulky needed to be put in her place that's my vote yeah and my the one the one thing that I just kind of want to put out on on that because I actually kind of did forget about it in in the kind of the midst of us talking about all this stuff, um. But the the part that kind of stings is like the, it it's it's the one gripe that I really had outside of like some of the elbows that were kind of thrown whether they were intentional or not that that weren't called um, the just the way that um. Mulkey was kind of able to just kind of do whatever she wanted on the sidelines and and on the court for that matter and then I uh, kind of have that let go and then you call a, te- a technical on on Caitlin which was her fourth foul in the midst of literally nothing going on I think that kind of really put a damper on it just like a little bit um I mean probably more than just a little bit I think the dichotomy of or not the dichotomy just like the the way that that all went down and just kind of the discussions after the fact that went on just about that in particular, I think there's like a legitimate gripe there, but I mean, it is what it is. You can't really change it now, but I, there is a whole lot of talk afterwards that did get a lot of attention. 
Um, so I want to ask you both about that before I share my thoughts, because I don't need to go on a whole soliloquy right away. Um, but obviously, at the end of the game, um, you had Angel Reese doing the, you know, the you can't see me in in Caitlin Clark's face and kind of chased her down a little bit, tried to get in her face to do it. Got the yeah, pointed at her ring finger and, in, in, you know, saying that, you know, she's a national champion, which she is. Um, but I just kind of want to ask you your thoughts about that and then the discussions that went on afterwards, um, mostly on online. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like there's a large conversation to be had here and this might take a while, but I think it's a conversation that probably needs to be had. So I don't know which one of you want to start off with that, but I mean, feel free to take the floor. Um, Eric always has has great, great thoughts. <laughs> so I'll let Eric start this time. <laughs> okay, I will say this. Here's here's what when I and I've had time to think about this and what I wanted to say and whatnot about this situation. And my stance hasn't changed a lot. Here's where I think it's it's disingenuous when people say what Angel Reef did and what Caitlin Clark did is the same thing. Under the umbrella of taunting or showing emotion or kind of trash talk, under that giant umbrella, sure, what they did is the same thing. Caitlin Clark did this as she walked past Haley Van Lith. She also said, shut up, you're down 15. And once again, I'm not a Caitlin Clark apologist. Never have been. And I'm fine if those are want to be here. If that's whatever, fine, great. That brought up some energy and people want to talk about it. And they even did a segment on Caitlin Clark's clapbacks or whatever. That is fine. I even stand by when Angel Reese, when they're at the free throw line, when they were at the free throw line, the first time she did it, when she looked at Caitlin next to her and she was doing this, I'm all for that. Give it back to her a little bit. Even Caitlin understands. If you give it, you got to take it when you're doing it. And Caitlin didn't respond. Caitlin just stood there unbothered. And I was fine with Reese doing that. Perfectly fine. Talk your trash, girl. Do your thing. Backyard Barbie, do whatever you need to do. <laughs> Where I was less comfortable, and once again, this is... This is coming from someone who I don't, I think it's disingenuous to say that Angel Reese was just trying to show emotion or just trying to do the same thing. For 15 seconds of game, of the last seconds of game time, you not only taunted Caitlin, you followed her. You walked past her, you walked up to her, you walked alongside of her, you got around her, you got, you were, she was looking for a reaction. Unless I'm missing something, because in Alexis Morris, even after you won the title, they're talking about put respect on my name and stuff. I never saw where Caitlin had comments where she was disrespectful to Alexis Morris. Or the, they're like, well, the wave off to Raven. That's Raven's thing to say. So maybe Raven Johnson should hit a three if she doesn't like the Caitlin Clark waved her off. So my thing is, that took it a step further. Uh, Angel Reese was looking for a response. It's uncomfortable watching you follow. Uh, I don't, if Caitlin would have done the same thing, I'd say it's equally uncomfortable. Because let's say Caitlin Clark didn't act as classy as she did and ignore it or walk by or not say anything. You might, we've seen in a handshake line with Memphis, you could have had someone deck Angel Reese right there. Let's be honest, would Angel Reese have acted as calm or as kind of just taken it? If someone had done that to her, no. Once again, I stand by. I am perfectly fine with the one at the free throw line. She did it. You gave it back to her. Great. The 15 seconds of following her, of tr 
actively trying to get a reaction from her, it feels disingenuous to try and paint that as a black or white issue. As someone who is not African-American, I cannot tell someone that it doesn't seem that it's not racial if it feels racial to them. And let's be honest, some of the hate Angel Reese gets comes from in a bad place of racial tension or racial hate. I completely understand that. As someone who has watched basketball for years, watched the WNBA, watched all this, I didn't think how Reese handled herself in the situation. It didn't need that. Talk your trash, girl. Do your finger thing, whatever you wanted. You didn't need to follow her for 15 seconds. You simply did not. That's Now, my other part I will say to this, and I'll be quick. I think it is real bold for Angel Reese to claim anything racial when you play for Kim Mulkey. Ma'am, you are not, you are emboldening, you are enriching, and you are giving, helping give a platform to the grand dragon of racist. Kim Mulkey is a racially, racist, homophobic monster. So I have a hard time feeling bad for Angel Reese when you can put your morals aside to play for and help Kim Mulkey get a platform and more money. Sure, guess what? I'm sure Kim Mulkey does defend you right now. You know why? Because you have a monetary value to her. She defended BG when she was at Baylor too. Ask her how that's going now. You don't get to sit here and claim race, racially bias against you when you play for the racist of the women's college basketball. So pick a side. Pick a thing. If race is an issue, you need to find a new coach. If race isn't an issue then you maybe can't get mad at people when they say how you... No, granted, people take it too far and death threats are always too far and threats of violence are always too far. I, I Once again, I stand by I didn't like the 15 seconds of actively seeking out trying to get a response from Caitlin Clark, who was nothing but friendly to you in any in the post-game. She had nothing but positive things to say. And her and Monica very much so could have popped off and said what they wanted to. So... And to Alexis Morris, girl, why is she in your head? You won a national championship. Celebrate that. That's my thoughts. My bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with Eric here, so I won't go on and on. Um, you know, I'm all for trash talking in sports. I think it's part of the game. I think it's good for the game. I think it obviously brings eyes to the game. As you look at Twitter right now, uh, it's – Everyone is still literally talking about girls basketball and the men's national championship starts here in what, 30 minutes or something? Um, yep. Or it might have even already started. Um, and my entire feed is still basically MLB and women's basketball, which is great. Um, <laughs> yeah, like like Eric said too, race, race, black, white or not, I think chasing her down at the end of the game was a little too far. Um, I think she did want a reaction out of her. Um, however, Caitlin Clark and Lisa Bluter both were not mad about it. So why should I be mad about it? It's part of the game. Caitlin Clark obviously also shows a lot of emotion. Sometimes she probably goes too far um, with her emotion, yelling at refs, all that kind of stuff. Um, she's, you know, Bluter and and Kaylin both said people celebrate their own way, weren't concerned about it. So if they're not concerned about it, why should I be concerned about it? Um, again, 
black or white. I do, I do think it's funny. And I, I know Brady and I had a little bit of a conversation you know, about this yesterday, which I'm sure he'll kind of go on into it here in a second. But I think it's it's kind of ironic how everyone, you know, was clamoring for let kids show emotion, let them, you know, be themselves on the court. You know, women can't do as much as the men because then, you know, the women get teed up. You know, it's not for emotion, etc. And then as soon as Angel Reese does that, everyone gets in, you know, everyone gets up in arms. And I think that just goes back, you know, I think it's it's definitely like a race thing there. Like, I think everyone is all pissed off that Angel Reese, being a black woman, is, you know, kind of going after, you know, the player that, you know, everyone, you know, is kind of looking at right now. Um and so I think it's a bigger, a whole bigger issue than just showing emotion at the end of the game. Even though I think that she went too far again, black or white, I think chasing her down was a little bit too far. But, you know, after everyone has been saying, let everyone show emotion, you know, the girls should be able to show emotions too. Like this is the one instance where everyone is kind of, you know, hanging their hat on and complaining about, again, as the people involved, didn't care about it. So I think it's a, a bunch of stuff about nothing. I don't have, I really don't have any problem with it other than her walking around her. If she would have been standing there and doing that in her face, so be it. You just won the national championship, do whatever you want. Um, but I, I just think it was that part of it was a little bit too far. And I think, but again, everyone's talking about women's basketball now, which is a good thing. And Angel Reese is coming back next year. Caitlin Clark's coming back next year. Cameron Briggs coming back next year. The list goes on and on of talent that's coming back in women's basketball. And I think it's just storylines in basketball in general is, is fun and good. Um, you know, men or women, NBA, college, you name it. And so having a storyline, storylines like these going to next year is only, only really good for the game. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of talked about it there with the storylines part of it. I mean, you look at um, just some leagues in general, like let's talk about the NBA real quick. I mean, the NBA was kind of saved by the magic and bird rivalry in, in the eighties. So those kind of storylines really drive people to want to watch. Um, and obviously if LSU were to play Iowa next year in a non-conference game or in the tournament, I'm sure a bunch of people would tune in to see that again. And I mean, then just to talk about just the, the other, the, the other stuff too, obviously it is like, there is like a real, like obvious racial dynamic that comes up the way people are discussing Angel Reese. And I mean, part of it, uh, it didn't really, you know, she didn't do herself a whole lot of, uh, you know, justice by kind of following Caitlin around for a while there, obviously, but it doesn't really justify some of the responses that have kind of been coming out after that. And a lot of it's like, not all of it's like, you know, as, um, you know, as like outwardly racist as like it probably is, but there's a whole lot of dog whistles that kind of go on around it, which isn't okay either. Um, and it kind of sucks that that's kind of been the main thing that's come out of it, at least from what I've seen. And a lot of it is probably because a lot of people really love um, Caitlin Clark, which is, I mean, for obvious reasons, like she's been kind of the driving force as to why a lot of people have been tuning into uh the final four the elite eight games and a lot and pretty much the entire tournament with with iowa but i mean i i think that there's a whole lot to be said about angel reese kind of doing what she did too um 
I I think that the part of her kind of kind of us uh, kind of talking um about people saying she's to this to that um I I think that there's probably a pretty important conversation to have there too because I think that's another kind of um very much a dog whistle kind of thing um but I think she's very good for the game of basketball I think a lot of people like Angel Reese Angel Reese is very polarizing polarizing characters are people that uh fans tune in to see whether they like her or don't there is a bunch of people that hate watch Duke every single week during the college basketball season I'm sure there'll be a lot that do that next year with LSU and I anytime people are talking about um women's basketball it's a good thing um I think it's obviously been undercovered for a while. And I think that uh, Caitlin and Angel Reese kind of boosted that up in their own ways. And I think they're probably going to do that again next year. Um, And yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot to be said on here. And I don't really know if I can even like still kind of put together all my thoughts for kind of what I want to say. Um, But the main gist of it is um, it's not okay to kind of throw a lot of these um comments out about angel reese um because it's not really there because honestly um a lot of a lot of it's about class um too and you know not being very classy in in winning or whatever but honestly like if you win a national championship and it's your first national championship um not knowing if she's going to win another one obviously you've never been there before you can't celebrate like you've been there before if you don't even know what it's like to, to to win that so i'm i'm happy that she got that moment um but yeah, there's there's a whole lot to be to be said and un- unpacked here. Is there anything else that you guys really want to bring up about that? Because there's so I feel like there's a lot, but I kind of don't feel like I'm saying enough. If that makes sense. I mean, one thing. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say like I I think to tie it all together on my end is is obviously I'm not in a position to really speak on this, you know, the racial issues because I'm white and can't obviously see from you know, a black person's perspective on this stuff. Um, but it, it, it just is kind of ironic again to me that, you know, when Kaylin Clark does, you know, all her celebrating, um, you know, all, all of her talking on the court, um, you know, people are talking about none of that, but just how great she is at basketball. But then, you know, the second Angel Reese does it, you know, everyone on Twitter explodes. And I just, I just have wondered the last, you know, 24 hours, what it would have looked like if those roles would have been reversed. Like what if Caitlin Clark would have walked to her around her and did that in her face? You know, how I I am just really curious of the dynamic there. Um, But yeah, no, I, I think that trash talking is good for the game. It makes it more entertaining. It makes, for more polarizing discussion and, and game, you know, in games and storylines. Um, so I, I definitely think there should be more of it, honestly. So that's what I have to say on that. The whole topic. Are we all in agreement that else you should play Iowa non-conference next year? I think game one, but actually, no, let's be honest. LSU showed every team, your non-conference strength of schedule should be 329. <laughs> you should never play a hard game. I mean, I'm joking. I think it would be fantastic if they play. Well, let's have Iowa get another center there. Brink, go to Iowa. No, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what I will say in this is, so, and I'll be upfront about everything. I cannot speak to what it's like to be an African-American at Black person in 2023 in the world. I can, however, speak, if someone knows me, I'm openly gay. 
as an openly gay person, I am a minority. I, but I can't speak to what it's like. But what I can say is this: I don't not like Angel Reese because Angel Reese shows emotion in the basketball court. I don't like Angel Reese because I think it takes a. There's something about you have. There's something about a person's morality, in my opinion, playing for Kim Mulkey. You got to stomach a lot of stuff playing for Kim Mulkey. So my hate for Angel Reese, or my dislike for any LSU player is because of what they'll tolerate with who they willing to coach. I would, you know, when we, you know, when people like LeBron and all of them take a stance on issues, I support that. I'm all for that because what everyone says is they're person first, athlete second. I believe that same with the coach. Kim Mulkey is a horrendous human being. She's a fantastic coach. Those things can be both true at the same time, but she's a horrendous human being at the beginning. So for people like Reese and Morris and all them to put their morality aside or even possibly agree with that, that her stance on stuff and also like she's gonna get a nice bonus check from this win. She's gonna get a nice, she's gonna get a nice fat check and more in the bank from this win and from this season and the success they're having. And she's gonna use that money and her platform to spread hate, to spread discrimination and stuff like that. I mean, if Angel Reese, you want to run have the conversation about discrimination, name me an African-American coach, male or female, that could get away on the sideline with what Kim Mulkey gets away with. It, there's not a shot in the world that they would get away with acting how she acts on the side of the court. And so that's why to me, it's like, you want to have that conversation, Angel Reese? Let's have that conversation with who you call boss or who you, def Grand Puba, who you defend at the head of your team. So that to me is where my dislike for her is not because she shows emotion. And I stand by, it. show it at the free throw line, give it back to Caitlin. Circling around her, looking for a response. And that's my other question to you guys. How would have this dynamic changed if let's say Caitlin gave her a response? Let's, cause I'm saying, if you, do, there are some people that would have decked her. There are some people that would have gotten back in her face or pushed her, or there would have been a physical altercation is it is it still okay for her to do that then if someone physically responds to that when she's looking for a response or is she antagonist is she antagonizing granted you want a championship great that one felt more like you were looking to get a scene that didn't need to be there give it to her at the free throw line give it to her holler scream your and one do your licking fingers whatever you want to do but following someone for 15 seconds I mean, that's worth, that's what your time is worth. I mean, more power to you, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's probably, like, the part that made it, like, that's why there's a whole lot of just negativity that's coming around Angel Reese now, and and, and it's getting used for, like, a whole bunch of other stuff, like, added on to that, too, which isn't okay. Um, but, yeah, that that's the part that, you know, is kind of the the fuel that a lot of people needed just to, you know, have their opinions shared, let's say, whether that be good, but mostly bad. Um, and it and and it sucks because I mean, one, like that is better for the game than people realize. Like that kind of um back and forth. I and I mean the other thing that I I don't know if we've mentioned it yet. Um I, I know Mason kind of touched on it a little bit, but I know you said it specifically the other day, Eric. But the fact that um Caitlin didn't react is one, it's probably you know, one, it's a better look for her. And, but two, I think it kind of shows like if she's okay with kind of giving that to people, she's very okay with um getting it back to her. 
And honestly, I think that's probably for the best because the last thing that that needed was any kind of scene after the fact, because that would have been very bad for all parties involved. And I'm happy it didn't go anywhere further than than what it did. So let's have them play. Yeah, I mean, oh gosh, that would that would be something. Um, yeah, I think most people understand that if you're going to talk shit, you better be able to take it back. I think Caitlin, you know, has proved and has proven in, in numerous games this year where she has been taunted and nothing has been said about it. Like it's been proven that she can take it back, but she knows that she's good enough to be able to then just turn that around on the floor and, you know, that's how she does her, you know, that's how she wins in the end is, you know, not the trash talking, but you know, scoring 30 points a game. Um, but yeah, again, I think if the roles would have been reversed, I think it would have been interesting. I think like we've all said, trying to get in front of her. So she sees you doing it. That, that goes a little bit too far for me, but if, if Angel Reese and, Caitlin Clark were already standing there face to face and she would have done the, you can't see me in the ring. Like that would have been totally fine. Like no problems with that at all. So. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, one of the most viral moments in, uh, and I, I think it was when Colin Sexton was in high school, I don't think it was AU it was him just kind of staring at a kid who was talking to him like the entire game. Like it's one of the most viral moments that's, uh, that's in high school basketball. And I still find it hilarious to this day. So I, I don't think anyone should have a problem with her doing her thing that free throw line and and if they do i think they're a little bit um there's probably some other um things that they probably have to you know have inner discussions with themselves about yeah for sure free throw line one was fine kaylin right there kaylin looked unbothered but free throw line looked fine it was the you had 15 seconds left in the game kaylin's literally trying to get over to her bench and get in the handshake line like girl move on yeah and, and to to end it my discussion of the topic just because I know it's probably a sensitive topic for a lot of people is, you know, I am, I am glad though that Angel Reese is, you know, who she is, how she is, you know, her unapologetic nature of her, because, you know, we, we know all these kids living from, you know, obviously predominantly white areas of the country, um, you know, maybe a little less so for Eric, um, but, but obviously for me here in Iowa, um, you know, there's there's a ton of people that look up to Caitlin Clark. Um, you know, the majority of them are young white kids. Um, but you know, not being from the South, not being from LSU, not being around, you know, the situation, you know, where she grew up from, where she goes to school now, I'm sure there's just as many young, you know, black kids who look up to Angel Reese as well. And, you know, see Angel Reese have a voice on the stage of this magnitude, you know, be herself, you know, not really take any shit at all from anyone, you know, doesn't care what other people say. I think that's, you know, good in its own right as well. Yeah, I mean, representation matters. I mean, seeing someone that, you know, reminds you of yourself doing, you know, really big things on on a national stage like that is definitely something that's helpful for, you know, anyone involved in that's that's kind of the, the last thing I want to say, and is that repu- representation and for, for people really does matter. But is there any other thing that you would like to talk about, either kind of going into the offseason? I mean, and it's kind of weird to kind of say anything after this, so we, we don't really have to say anything after this, honestly. Um, but is there anything else you guys want to touch on before we kind of close things out? 
I still think Kim Mulkey should probably get investigated for January 6th. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, is there anything else for you, Mason? Um, actually, yeah, there is. Um, so obviously, uh, Mr. Charlie, uh, our good friend at ESPN, put out his way too early poll for um, the 23-24 season pretty much seconds after the game ended. Um, and just wanted to, to get your guys' thoughts on on that, if you've seen it or not seen it. Um, just a quick rundown for the, the top 25 next year. The top five teams are, are uh, in order, UConn, Utah, LSU, Iowa, Indiana. Um, obviously, the absence of, of South Carolina is there. You know, Stanford is down at nine. Uh, Maryland's at 12. Virginia Tech's at 14. Um, Oregon is actually in it at 18. Uh, Florida State's at 19. Louisville's at 22. Um, just to some of the notable teams. Um, do you guys have any teams early now that you know you would be looking at for next year as potentially getting into the top 25 i think they're wisconsin of course wisconsin of course come on (laughs) okay you're unqualified brady if that's the first one um yeah Um, so anyone other than wisconsin is you know they will have to at least win 10 games first with their two players on the roster (laughs) hey they have a couple kids coming in my thoughts on that list is this is literally he does it every year. This is the third or fourth year in a row that UConn has been back at the top despite not winning the championship. I want to let Charlie know in sports, there's a rule. You are number LSU's number one until they're knocked off. If you are the defending, you are the defending champs until you're knocked off. So guess what? The way too early for 20 for next year needs to start with LSU. They're the defending champs. That title of theirs, they're number one until they're knocked off. That's always how it's been. I know that ESPN is so far up the rear end of UConn Huskies that they can't even see which way they're going out of. But we get it. UConn's going to be better, but they're not number one. They have to prove they're number one. So every year putting them at the way too early number one, we saw how that's worked since 2016. Brianna Stewart's little sister is not coming to save you. Paige can't stay healthy. AZ Fudd can't stay healthy. You're not getting all the top kids every year like you used to. Calm it down, Charlie. Um. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was just going to say I agree with that. I think okay. LSU should be number one until they, until they lose. Obviously, they lose some talent. Uh, and, and it was pretty clear that Alexis Morris was, you know, very key to their run. And they do lose her. They also lose Jasmine Carson, who was obviously huge in, you know, the championship game. But they do return Angel Reese, you know, and a lot of their key players. And they also have the number one recruiting class in the country coming in. So to help the Grand Puba. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, I'm very curious to see how UCLA ends up playing next year. Um, obviously they had that really good class that came in this year and they were still super young and went out to South Carolina, which, you know, isn't, there's no shame in losing to South Carolina. Um, but I'm very curious to see how that UCLA team does next year with a year under the, uh, the class of 22's belts, honestly, because I mean, getting the sweet 16 is is one thing, but you know, you kind of do have to take that next jump if you really want to be part of the elite class. And I'm kind of curious to see if they can, they can get there next year. And obviously the Pac-12 will be 
um, a challenge again for him. But I mean, so I think we'll know a whole lot by by the time the tournament rolls around next year about UCLA at least. April third. Yeah, I think go for going to the Sweet Sixteen. I was going to actually talk about Minnesota because I am very curious to see how they play next year. Obviously, Don's um, has a tradition 15. of winning. Okay. Um. Anyway. Um. I, yeah. Obviously, they have a tradition of uh winning with Don there. I mean, Don has made the tournament basically has made a postseason tournament basically every year she's been a head coach. Um, and I'm kind of curious to see what they look like next year. Cause obviously they have a lot of talented kids that came in this year and I'm sure Eric has talked about them basically till he could talk about them at least until he's blue in the face and probably longer. Um, but I am very curious to see how that Minnesota team shakes up next year with that, uh, freshman class getting a, a year under the, under their belts and, and with Dawn at the helm. Watch yourself, Caitlin Braun, Mamba's coming. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just really curious too, because I feel like next year, you know, I think the game, once again, there will be a lot of parity, I think, as well. Um, you know, you we have a ton of talent coming back, um, you know, with their COVID year still. Um, you know, I think UConn is, is probably the most talented team, given if they're all healthy. Yeah, I think LSU should be the number one for obvious reasons, as we already stated. I think the Pac-12 race is going to be really interesting next year. Um, you know, I think that um, J.C. Sheldon coming back for Ohio State is going to make that an extremely interesting team next year. Um, you know, I think Ole Miss is going to surprise some people next year in the SEC. You know, they've already brought in um, Kennedy Todd Williams from North Carolina, who is the second leading scorer for their team. Um, you know, all their core players really return as well. Um, you know, and then there are a couple other teams littered throughout that top 15 to top 30 range that had some kids come back, um, you know, that weren't really expected to come back. Uh, I think for me, the teams, the team that I will really be um, looking at, and this is probably just me being a Midwestern person, but it's Creighton, uh, just because they bring back all of their four, you know, they bring back four of the top five starters. You know, they were really good again this year, obviously didn't make it um, far in the tournament like they did last year when they made it to Sweet 16, but that's like a super veteran group um, that's going to be, you know, just probably this year the second best team in the Big East behind UConn with Villanova obviously taking a step back. So, um, but yeah, the, the Pac-12 race next year, just as it looks like right now early on, I think it's going to be one of the most fun conference races to watch for sure. Speaking of Juju Watkins at USC, I'm excited to see the freshman phenom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, every every year you get the you get those freshmen that come in and it kind of spices everything up a little bit. So, I'm very curious to kind of yeah that Pac-12 that the Pac-12 should be real. I am never a believer in the Pac-12 anything after this the regular season, but you know you never know. Maybe maybe next year could be the year that a Pac-12 team surprises me and actually makes a, a deep run, but you never know. Um, I, I am, I was literally about to talk about Creighton cause they brought back all those kids, but, but Mason stole my thunder there a little bit. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the SEC is obviously a conference. That's going to be one to watch too. Um, Ole Miss. I mean, Coach Yo did say she was going to, what was the exact quote about hitting the transfer portal? I'm about to go ham in the portal. Yep. That was the quote and she already has, and I'm sure it's only going to, you know, continue. 
Um, so I am very curious to see how Ole Miss ends up next year. And obviously in the SEC, you know, there's not really many gimme games that are in that conference. So, I mean, if Ole Miss ends up, you know, playing well in the SEC, I mean, I think that gives them a lot of championship equity, even if it's not, you know, winning a title, but a lot of equity in, in being able to, you know, make a run in the tournament. Cause it's not like they didn't this year. I mean, they did make the sweet 16 this year and beat a really good Stanford team to get there. So, um, and yeah, I'm very curious to see how, how they play out too. But yeah, I mean, I honestly, with, um, the momentum that women's basketball has now at the college level. Um, I hope that some of these teams go out of conference. Like, I really would like to see LSU play Iowa because I would love to know what the uh, return would be on that on that regular season game. But, you know, their prerogative. I mean, LSU didn't play the craziest non-con this year. I know, and I know we've already talked about it, but I would love to see that matchup again because I think it would probably, you know, reignite a lot of the a lot of the eyes that were watching that national championship game to come back and watch that one, whether it be at a neutral court at LSU or wherever. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen because Mulkey's always going to schedule a 300 plus level strength of schedule. Um, but you, you can't really say much because one, the SEC is, you know, really solid conference and they play a lot of, you know, obviously really tough teams in SEC and two, like, I don't care if you played all division two teams in the non-conference, like you just won the national championship. So it really doesn't matter for me, you know, non-conference conference, you know, strength of record, all that kind of stuff just kind of comes into play for ranking teams, seeding teams, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then all that goes out the window once you make the tournament, because, you know, if, if you're the the team that wins, what is it? Six games in a row. That's all that matters. Yep. Um, and, and I, I do want to ask um about the the last thing I want to kind of touch on is just kind of the numbers that came in from people watching the final four. Um and was it a surprise to you that that national championship game got as many viewers as it did? I mean, I and I don't want I don't know if surprise is the right word. Um, but just how like stunned were you when you saw that number come in, I guess would be a good way to put it. No, because, I mean, Iowa and LSU both had pretty fervent fan bases. They both were, I mean, I experienced Iowa firsthand up here for the Big Ten tournament. I mean, even when they were in Seattle, my God, they were packing Seattle. And I'm like, that's a pretty far drive in a Winnebago from Iowa. So um, it wasn't shocking. Okay. I don't think they took a Winnebago. <laughs> no, come on. We we have grand caravans out here. <laughs> no, it wasn't a surprise. And I said, Kaylin was getting fans. People wanted to see what she could do. Um, you know, Kim has the people that are, you know, the January 6th crew that are watching it from prison. So, I mean, you had a whole, you had a whole lot of, I mean, Kim was going to bring in the awful people that usually wouldn't give women a chance, but you know, you have someone like Kim and so they're going to be willing to watch her team. Well, I just kind of want to read you off a couple numbers here. And this is from, um, I don't know if you know who Andrew Hob- Hobner is, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He kind of gave some of the some of the things that that ranks above. And I just kind of want to give you the things that he said that it was above. So every NHL Stanley cup game since 1973, Jesus. um, uh, games one, two, three, and five of the 21 NBA finals, which was Milwaukee and Phoenix. Um, the 2023 sugar bowl between Alabama and Kansas state, uh, the 20, the 2023 orange bowl between Tennessee and Clemson, a true orange out in that one. And then every MLS game on record. And does is there like any more of like is there anything else really to say about that than just wow i guess because that's honestly incredible um one who watches 
Then MLS. I don't. I didn't even know. I, hey, 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 hey! Back off! Back off! Back! Back off! I I watch every now and again. I'm a soccer person. So please, <laughs> um, so please have some respect. No, you know that doesn't surprise me at all. I think the the more surprising numbers to me, and it's kind of unfortunate they're you know surprising. But even the final, like the final four games, were really good too, viewers wise. Uh, the Iowa South Carolina game had 5.5 million viewers. LSU and Virginia Tech had um, 3.4 million viewers, which, you know, with the 4.5 million average viewers, that was 66% increase year over year. Um, and so, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. But to have, you know, total 8.9 million viewers watch the two Final Four games and then bump that up another million people to 9.9 million people like that's I think pretty special and um you know I think a a true indicator of where the women's game is going um because I I really think that with all the personalities coming in I think just only going to continue to grow um I'm, I'm really interested to see the men's national championship game ratings tonight obviously the men are going to draw more there's people saying that it won't it still will because it's the men, um, but I'm just curious to see how close it is with two non-blue blood programs playing in the national championship. I know UConn has a good history, um, but you know San Diego State doesn't, um, mm-hmm. and it's not like it's Duke versus UNC or Michigan or you know, um, you know what have you one of those blue bloods. So I'm I'm just really curious to see how it compares. Duke sucks, but hey, JJ Reddick. Oh God, <laughs> oh, man. where where did where did that come from? JJ Reddick <laughs> is my favorite human being. Like I don't even like Duke, but y'all listen to me. Listen to his podcast. Watch his videos. He is gorgeous. He does have a good podcast. He he, he, he does. does have a good podcast. I enjoy listening to it. I enjoy listening to the un the, the un. Uncut. Yeah, the unfilteredness. Yeah, and and just the truth coming out. He, it's not like he's a talking head yet. He doesn't seem <laughs> like a talking head yet. Give it a couple years. Very pretty. Um, oh god. Yeah. So so I was I was super happy to see those numbers. Um, it did kind of surprise me a little bit, uh, but I think that just shows you the poll of Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese. Like, I I if those two weren't playing in it. Like, I don't think the poll would have been nearly as great. Um, and like I said, too, I think everything that happened in it was really good for the sport because, you know, like I said, people were still talking about women's basketball today. And I don't know the last time people have talked about a women's basketball game for more than 24 hours. Ever. Yeah. I, I mean, I yeah, that... I mean, I, I think it probably outside of if you wanted to pick a few things, I think it probably went as well as you possibly could have hoped. I think that's probably a fair assessment of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, for, for sure. And and the national championship this year doubled, over doubled in viewership too. Which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. Yep. But I think, is this a good spot to end it? Well, let me. Uh, if let you me want give... to, if you want to, you've got yeah, the well, you've got the button. I don't have the button. 
But I, the last thing I do want to, I, I do want to mention before we, before we call it is that we will have like a kind of a different format of how we do things going forward, just with AAU around the corner. Um, Eric, Mason, and I will be in different places at least next weekend and probably for a good chunk of the, of the AAU season. Um, so we will kind of just do some recap stuff there and we'll try to make it as interesting as humanly possible. Cause I'm sure, uh, Mason and I can be a little boring sometimes, but I know Eric's always got some kind of spunk to bring to a conversation. So I'm sure he'll have stuff to say. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll do a whole lot of AU stuff going forward up until, um, obviously, and I, I'm going to talk about some transfer portal stuff along the way too, as, as stuff becomes available. Um, and obviously there's a whole lot of kids in the portal. So we'll probably be talking about that basically all summer. Um, so with that said, I, I think this is a good spot to end it. Um, I appreciate y'all listening again for the 11th time and hopefully you tune in next week. Hi, JJ Reddick.